Hey guys, Adam here. About five seconds ago, I got off the mics with Adam Gilbert from mybodytutor.com and I'm feeling pretty energized. That was probably my most enjoyable conversation I've had with a guest on the show so far. Big statement, I know, but I feel like we just had a lot in common. He's been in the trenches for 13 years building this business. He's bootstrapped it. He's trying to make a big impact and there's just lots of things. Our kids are nearly identical ages. I just felt akin with this guy and I love the way he spoke about having the courage to tell his mum that he's quitting what looks like the perfect job in Ernst Young as an auditor, probably getting paid a ridiculous amount of money with a New York apartment. Like he had everything going for him and his gut was telling him to quit. A lot of respect for what he's built. Guys, you're going to love this show. And just before we jump into the interview, let me share a quick bit about Adam Gilbert. Adam learned from an early age that being unhappy with your body is painful and liking the way you feel and look contributes so much to your overall well-being. When you walk into a room confidently, it changes everything. Of course, there are many things beyond our control, things like MS, but there's many things within our control that impact our health. Most people don't even think about their health until they don't have it. And it's at that point that it becomes all they think about. In Adam's words, health is true wealth and it also impacts every aspect of life. Helping people transform their body, mind and ultimately life is his passion and Adam sincerely believes that My Body Tutor, the company that he's founded, is the best program out there. And it's not just because he says it, but it's also because he's got plenty of extremely satisfied clients with amazing success stories who can vouch for his and their successes. So now get comfortable and please enjoy this interview with Adam Callow and founder of MyBodyTutor.com, Adam Gilbert. So Adam, firstly, a huge thank you for giving up your time. Whereabouts are you in the world today? I am in New Jersey right now, typically New York City. And how are you finding the difference? I assume the the move is down to the current circumstances, but how have you found the move? What's the biggest change for you? The biggest change is we have a backyard. Uh, you know, That's in New lot. York City, we're in a building. Um, so having a backyard and, you know, being able to just go outside freely is, has been really nice. And I can imagine someone that's heavily into their fitness as you are, you're really enjoying that. Yes, for sure. Oh, that's cool stuff. Uh, listen, there's, there's a bunch of stuff from me just doing some research around... Uh, one, your background, and two, uh, your business that I want to dig into. Uh, do you want to give people a little bit of context before we get started? Uh, talk to me about what you're doing today, and then we'll rewind and go 13, 15 years back. Sure. So My Body Tutor is an online uh, health and fitness uh, coaching service. Essentially, we help people reach their health, health and fitness goals, and we do that by delivering daily and personal accountability. Uh, so clients get their very own expert coach who's guiding them, supporting them, holding them accountable every single day. And uh, we built it up to, uh, we have over 40 coaches now um, and have clients, you know, throughout the world. So it's been, uh, it's been quite the journey to get here. Yeah. And I want to definitely dig into that journey, but just give everyone an idea right now of like, how long have you been building the business? So I started my body tutor in uh, February of 2007. So over 13 years now. And if people know their, I guess they don't even know, need to know their history. They just need to know what's going on in the world from an economic perspective. You've seen a lot during that time. Just before we go into like where the idea came from, because I always loved going down that comic book style effect. What's the origin story of the business? What were you doing just before you started the business? I was working for Ernst & Young. Um, I was uh, two years out of college. I worked there for the first two years. So I was uh, at Ernst & Young and... Uh, Hated every second of it. And what, what were you doing there? Tell me about that. And then I guess 
I guess tell me why you ended up in that job in the first place. Yeah, so I was an auditor there, and uh, that I does up, sound boring. <laughs> yes, uh, it was. Um, wound up in that job just because you know I always heard accounting was a very good background uh, for business. I was always interested in business along with health and fitness, um, and I didn't have the courage to pursue it earlier on. Um, I always did on the side, but not full time. Um, so I pursued uh, accounting in college. And, uh, you know, wound up working at Ernst Young for, for the first two years out of college. So you said you, you said you hated every minute of it. Talk to me about that 24 month journey. And then I think most people listen to this. Our audience is filled of people that are either in that job that they don't enjoy trying to do something on the side or are probably like one to three years in business. What was the tipping point that made you think I've got to do something different? Like I can't be strapped to this desk every day at Ernst Young. Yeah. So within the first week of, you know, going to my quote unquote prestigious and exciting job, um, you know, I actually wound up had it being like a physical stomachache every day um, as I was walking to work. Um, you know, it was a beautiful building in Times Square. Um, and every day, though, I would have this stomachache as, as I was walking to work. And I just I knew, you know, deep down and not even so deep down, I mean, that this wasn't what I was meant to be doing. Um, and I felt that I knew I had this passion of health and fitness inside of me and helping people, uh, you know, reach their goals. And, you know, that was a big, um, moment. And, you know, just once I realized like the stomachache is not going away and I realized it was cause I just was not happy how I was spending my time. Um, you know, I, I realized I had to do something about it. Um, and, uh, you know, I remember telling my mom, like, I'm thinking about quitting my job. Um, and she thought I was absolutely crazy. She's like, you know, people would kill for your job. People would kill to be living in New York City and all this stuff. And um, but I'm like, I'm not happy. Like, it doesn't matter. I understand. I, I'm grateful. But I, I, what I want to be doing, it's not what I'm meant to be doing. It's um, super interesting that you mentioned your mom. I think I think a lot of people end up in career paths because it's what they're they're not. I'm not saying that it's what, from your mom's perspective. Don't let me put words in your mouth. But I think a lot of people that I see end up going down career paths because it's what they think will make their parents proud. How much yeah. of your career choice was based on that? And then tell me about that conversation because I think it's really empowering. That took a lot of courage, potentially more than even starting your own business. Like having that conversation with your mom. Take me back to that. Yeah, I mean, you know, my parents definitely had an impact on my career choice. I mean, they always told me accounting is a great background. Um, you know, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think it would have been really, really hard for me to say I'm pursuing, you know, health and fitness right out of college. I think that it would just been really hard. And the conversation was really, you know, like it was hard. I mean, I was my own man. I was paying my own rent. I always have like it wasn't a question of that. It was just it, it would have been nice to have my mom's blessing, so to speak. And for her to say, you know what? Good luck. Um, instead, it was met with the total opposite. It was like, all right, well, all these people who are encouraging you to pursue your passion, are they going to pay your rent? Are they going to pay your health insurance? Like just filled with reality, right? Just filled with fear. Um, and that really was scary because like I was two years out of school. I had no idea what I was doing. I just knew I wasn't meant to be doing what I was doing. Um, and it was hard, but ultimately I just knew I couldn't continue down that path. I continued down that path. It would just get you know, I would get older um, and I would get, you know, more trapped in this career, in that career. And I didn't want that. Um, so ultimately I said, listen, I'm, I'm going to do this whether you, you know, want me to or not. Um, you know, and she really had no choice. I mean, you know, I was living in, in New York City in an apartment. You know, I, I didn't ask her for anything. All I wanted was her blessing. But, you know, now that I'm the father of two kids, like I totally get it. 
mm-hmm. um, because you want the best for your kids and you want their comfort and security. Um, so it was really hard. I mean, we had a lot of conversations, but ultimately I said, listen, I'm doing this. And, you know, she didn't have a choice. And and can I, let me make an assumption and tell me if I'm right or wrong that once you quit the job and you start your own thing, did she then become your biggest cheerleader to motivate you and support you in that way? Or was there a period where it was like, you should go back and get this job. Like, how did you, what did that look like? And then how did you emotionally balance it? Yeah, I, I was definitely not right away where she became my biggest cheerleader. She certainly is now. Um, but, you know, there was always just this fear. There was just a lot of fear, a lot of uncertainty, you know, as we talked about. I mean, I started this in 2007, um, you know, then, you know, 2008 happened. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it was an awful time to start a business. Um, but thankfully, we we are able to build it even through that, um, which gave me a lot of confidence. Um, and then slowly but surely, I think when she realized how committed I was and, you know, how the business was progressing and how people were really being impacted by what we were doing. Because one of the things I always did was like, and I still do, you know, from time to time, if someone, you know, writes me an amazing email of how, you know, my body tutor changed your life, I'll always forward it to her. Nice. Um, you know, and I'm like, this is why I do what I do. This is why I left you know, Ernst Young back then, um, you know, and she always says like, you know, I'm so proud. You make me so proud. Like, you know, and that's amazing. Um, you know, but it was not easy at, at first. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. I kind of completely one understand that I'm a, I'm a father of two as well. And I, I guess what every parent's job is to protect their kids into the best of what they know how to do. And I think majority 99% of people in this world think having a job is the safest bet. Mm-hmm. Um, so parents are going to be parents just out of curiosity. How old are your kids? So my, uh, oldest is six Zachary. And then my youngest is, uh, three Asher, two boys. Cool, man. I got, I got two boys. I got a six and a three year old. My, uh, my oldest, oh, nice. yeah, my oldest turns four in, uh, like a week. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, uh, we're on similar journeys on that vein. Yeah. Um, but I guess one thing that is different is, I started my business when my my wife was actually three months pregnant. So she was like, you've, oh, wow. got, you've got six months to make this work. Um, let's go back to the beginning of your journey because it feels like you had four or five years under the table before you decided to have children and build a family. Talk to me about the business model, what it looked like then, because I guess it was very different to what it looked like today. I'm making assumptions here. Like I obviously know what you guys do today. Yeah. Um, do you want to give people an idea of like how the business operates transactionally from a customer's perspective today? And then talk to me about what it used to be like. Yeah. So now, you know, someone signs up on our website. Uh, it's a month to month membership. Um, you know, people get daily coaching and exercise advice. They get access to our own mobile app or website. Um, you know, and essentially it's a month to month membership. And, you know, they sign up, they fill out a questionnaire. Based on that questionnaire, I personally match them with the coach. Um, and then the coach helps them, you know, and guides them and supports them every single day, right? With that daily accountability. Um, interestingly, the business itself in terms of what we offer really hasn't changed all that much. Um, I believed in it, you know, 13 years ago, I believe in it more than anything now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the only thing that's changed is our infrastructure, the technology we use, the coaching, you know, the type of coaching, or, or I should say the amount of coaching, uh, coaches we have. Um, so the actual offering isn't all that different. Um, it's just a little more sophisticated and certainly better. Um, but when we first started, it was very simple. It was just me. You know, and my offer was simple. Um, we're going to help you get ready for spring break. Um, so, you know, health and fitness is always, you know, obviously a big passion of mine. Um, and I remember, you know, in, co- in college, you know, everyone would kind of get crazy with their diet and exercise uh, around spring break time. Um, you know, people would kind of do all sorts of things. And 
my my idea was we'll focus on college kids, helping them get ready ready for spring break. Um, and the idea was the same thing, though. We're going to support and guide you and hold you accountable and coach you every day. Um, but I was marketing toward, you know, to college kids. But very quickly, as I started this, um, you know, these these our clients were kind of referring us to their brothers and sisters in corporate America or even their parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized that's a much better market. It's a lot more uh, rewarding um, because, you know, spring break is great. But like that, that was just kind of the idea to get into it. Um, so once they started referring us to their you know, family members and, and, and things like that, then I realized like we actually have something for real here. Um, and, you know, we slowly but surely kind of changed who we marketed to. Um, but yeah, the, the, the product itself has not really changed all that much in terms of the core offering, which is daily coaching. Yeah, it makes. I guess one thing I just picked up on is if you're training towards like a specific moment in time, like spring break or a holiday, it's as if they're like buying a product off you. Let's get me fit. I'm off to do this. Whereas your ideal client sounds like someone that's making like a lifestyle change, like a big commitment on an ongoing basis. Just that curiosity, like uh, I've got this picture in my head of you strapped at this desk, um, being an auditor, and then all of a sudden going to health and fitness. What qualifications, if any, are needed for you to make that jump? Yeah. So health and fitness has always been, um, you know, a huge passion of mine. Um, you know, while I was at Ernst and Young, you know, I was kind of the go-to guy for health and fitness. Um, I was a personal trainer. Um, I was a certified health coach. Um, but I just never, you know, had the courage to pursue it, um, full time. But while I was there, you know, I was always the go-to guy and, you know, I'd see partners and clients and colleagues and, you know, they'd ask me for advice and I'd give them a plan. And then I'd see them a week or two later and it was always the same story. It was always, you know, I got caught up with work or I got caught up with my kids or I got caught up with just life in general. There was always some sort of excuse mm-hmm. um, or some sort of reason. And I realized, you know, these people knew what to do. They had a plan I had given them, but they couldn't stick with it. Um, and that's kind of how the idea of My Body Tutor was born. Um, and, and in terms of the qualifications, I was, you know, as I said, it was, you know, personal trainer, certified health coach, but, um, you know, I didn't really have an idea of how I wanted to pursue it until that um, time at Ernst & Young. Makes sense. So fast forward to today, uh, if I remember rightly, I think you mentioned it, uh, 40 plus coaches, 2000 clients, quite a big change from just you doing fitness routines for people trying to look good on spring break. What were the key milestones when you look back that you remember about the business? Like, When did you feel like things changed? I guess for, for me, as an example, making my first hire that wasn't friends or family was was a big one for me. Yeah, uh, and then we decided to raise a little bit of venture capital, uh, which uh, was uh, I'm pretty sure one of my investors listened to this podcast. But in my opinion, was a big mistake. I think it it changed a lot about the business, which I would like to unwind. Talk to me about some of the big milestones that you remember going from just you to to where you are today. I'd love to dig into a few of them. Yeah, so the biggest milestone, first and foremost, was being able to pay my rent. Um, so when I started this, you know, in January 2007 uh, or February, I quit my job in January 2007, started this in February um, of 2007. Um, my only goal was to be able to pay my share of rent. So I had a roommate back then. Um, I refused to move back home um, with my mom. Um, that would be, be showing that you've got a weakness. Yeah, like mom yeah. right now is not completely on board. Yeah, that was not an option um, for me. So yeah. that fear of like, I'm just, and you know, all I had to, you know, it was like, I just have to make, I just have to be able to pay for my rent. Um, that was the first milestone. And thankfully within the first month, I was able to do that. Um, you know, so we were lucky there. Um, the next big milestone for us was, you know, taking the kind of infrastructure or, or the technology I 
you know, quote unquote built. It was very um, kind of um, rookie, um, but it worked. It served its purpose. And then investing, you know, the most amount of money I've ever invested in anything um, to have this company kind of take what I was doing and, you know, make it much more professional and scalable. Um, so I, essentially, when I first started, clients were kind of logging their diet and exercise um, for each day. And then I would kind of go back, go into the system and write back. But what I wanted was a system that allowed me to kind of add coaches for me to monitor the coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, so making that first initial investment within the first two years was really, really scary. Um, and I remember writing an article, it was basically just like, you know, money talks, BS walks. And the point was, it's like, you know, I was telling everyone I really believed in what we did more than anything. And I really did. But it's very different when you actually put your money where your awards are. Um, and, you know, I cut this check to this company in Colorado. They were amazing. They built it out. So that was another big milestone. Um, and then I think, you know, I guess the next big milestone was, um, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not going to, I don't, I guess I won't go through every milestone, but I, I guess another big milestone was hiring my first coach. That was really hard because I'm a perfectionist at heart. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I, I felt like I had to coach every client myself, but I also realized I was kind of the bottleneck. People really wanted our service. They wanted the help. Um, and I was holding us back because I felt like if I can't coach them, why bother? It's not going to be great. So our first coaching hire was a big deal for me. Um, and it learned or taught me to kind of let go a little bit. And how do you get over that? I mean, uh, when you're starting a business out, you become like a jack of all trades and you know every element of the business better than air quotes anyone else will. Uh, And and I, I completely empathize with you on that front, like hiring people and then micromanaging them to do it your way compared to hiring someone and trusting them to do it their way. That's why you hired them. Like how, how did you get over that, um, to make that higher? Like what was, was it because you're working 120% getting no time? Like what was the trigger point compared to you saying, this is actually a fantastic lifestyle business for me. I can make this very profitable as a one person company. Like why did you go to two people? Yeah. So I think it was a, just, you know, my lifestyle was not sustainable. I was working, you know, uh, a lot, many, many hours per day, per week. Um, I, you know, I, I, that wasn't sustainable and it was kind of like, all right, well, if I keep this up, what, what is five years from now look like? I'm just doing the same thing like that. It just wasn't healthy. Um, it wasn't sustainable. Um, and then also for me, it was like, I think it just took enough pain or enough time where it's like, this isn't what I want. I really believe in what we do. I want to serve more people. And I, and I knew like, I knew, you know, in theory, of course, that or in practice that I can't keep going this way. Like I have to learn to let go. And it was, I guess it was a combination of just the pain of like, I can't work, you know, 18 hours anymore every day. Um, and just projecting what my life would look like in five years. Um, and also my goals and my vision of like building a company that really serves, you know, many people and helps people. And I knew I can't do that all, all by myself. That's just not possible. Just, um, just out of curiosity. Um, so I've kind of got like a, a personal ceiling right now of like, as soon as we get to like 15 people, something goes wrong. And at first you kind of want to look at everyone else and say, well, it's them. It's, it's their problem. Like I've hired the wrong people. And then about 18 months ago, I started to look at myself and say, well, maybe I've got limiting factors. I need to become a better CEO. I need to grow with this role. How yeah. did you work? Like, were there any tools or services or people that helped you develop on your journey to, to grow in the business? Yeah, I mean, this is a fascinating topic. Um, happy to explore explore this with you. So, you know, first off, so much of health and fitness is psychology. Uh, it's it's what's what it's what's going on between our ears. It's the same thing with business. So, I would say that there is a part of you, or let's start backwards. 
there is some part of you that is self-sabotaging, right? So you're getting to 12 to 15 people and then you keep going down, you're, you, you're kind of staying there. And self-sabotage really, in my definition, is when we fear the very thing we're trying to accomplish, right? So we fear the very thing we're trying to accomplish. So there is a part of you that doesn't believe having more employees is actually going to make your life better. There's a part of you, you know, most every entrepreneur I know, um, you know, feels like, you know, they're overworked. They have the, you know, weight of the world on their shoulders. They have a ton of responsibility. They have very little free time. Um, and for many entrepreneurs, they feel like even if they have the best thing, you know, in the world, they feel like if they get busier, their life is actually going to be worse off, not better off. Mm-hmm. Um, and until you figure out truly how your life will be better off um, with more people, then you're going to keep sabotaging. So I would say, you know, you really need to figure out, like, how does having more people serve you? How does it actually help you? And also, even more importantly, why do you think having more people is bad for you? What's what's the negative of having more people on your team? Um, because that is where the roadblock is happening. Because there's a part of you that really doesn't believe that having more people is going to help you. And that's why you're sabotaging it. Um, if that's the case. I mean, it, it could just be coincidental and random that you just you're not hiring right, but likely, as you know, any good entrepreneur or founder has to be very self-aware. Um, and if you keep kind of bouncing around this this mark, then it's likely something with you. Well, it's super interesting you say that. And uh, as you were as you were talking through that self sabotage, uh, there is a roadblock in my head. Uh, and just to sort of like throw it out to the listeners of the show, because I think a, a lot of them will benefit from it, um, is the fear, as you put it for me is I'm going to hire more people and more people are going to report into me because I haven't done a good job of empowering the managers within our business. I feel like I micromanage everyone. So I have Mm -hmm. 10, 15 or 20 direct reports compared to having five that then manage the rest of the team. So my, my version of self-sabotaging is I don't want more people because eventually they're all going to come knocking on my desk and asking me to do more stuff compared to me empowering my managers. So that, that could be like a mental roadblock that I've got to work on. Um, It's, there's no doubt about it. Um, it's really important for you to identify that. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, I've always said it's just like, you know, for me and and the reason why I'm able to articulate it is because I was doing the same thing. You know, there was a part of me um, that just didn't feel like, you know, serving more people would make my life better because I was so busy. I was so overworked. Um, and until I put the systems in place and put the you know infrastructure in place and put the people in place, then it was like, all right, all, you know, all systems to go, like, let's pour gas, lean on this. Um, so I would say you have to figure out how you can make it better to have more people, not worse. And for you, I think you nailed it on the head is, is the direct reports right now. You're already kind of, I'm sure tired of all the people knocking on your door. It's going to be even more than that. So you need to figure out how it's going to be better off, not worse off. Yeah. Top bit of advice. I didn't realize I was going to get a coaching session, but I appreciate it. Always good. Sure. H- how did you get through that roadblock? Did you do it mentally on your own? Because you're into like, you realize there was a roadblock and because you're in health and fitness and psychology and you, you get that you unblocked it yourself or is there anyone external to you that you worked with to help you? And is there anyone now to help you grow your business? Like who is in your circle of people that you can bounce ideas from? Yeah. So I worked through this myself. I mean, I'm very um, into psychology just because I know most of success, whether it's in fitness or business is psychology. Like, you know, I can give someone the best tactics in the world to lose weight or to grow their business. Not that I'm a business expert, but, and chances are they're not going to follow it because again, it's what's going on between their ears, right? Or I can give someone the best diet in the world and, and likely they won't be able to follow it. And it's not, 
anything to do with them. It's just that there's a lot of mindset and habits and psychology that gets in the way of success, right? There's a million diet books. Why don't people just read the diet books and, and stick with it? Because it's way more than just tactics. Um, I really believe most success um, is, you know, 80% psychology, 20% tactics, right? I can give someone the best business advice, the best, you know, the books, the courses, the best coach in the world. But if on some level, they don't believe their life will be better then nothing's going to work. Nothing's going to help them. Um, so for me, I kind of worked through it my, myself, um, you know, and I guess, um, you know, I'm lucky that I have some very close friends that are very honest with me. One of our kind of things is we're, we, we're always honest with each other, even if it's uncomfortable, even if I might not like what they tell me. Um, you know, and then I also have an amazing team who I always encourage them to like, tell me like it is, I don't want them to just be yes men. Um, you know, they always give their opinions. They always, you know, um, speak their mind and that's important. How do you foster that within a team? I say from day one, like I always like, it's like, listen, like, you know, for example, we had a new coach start recently and she had a a great idea. And before I even addressed the idea, I'm like, I just want you to know. And we talked about this before she even started, but I reinforced it. I said, just, I just want you to know whenever you have an idea, whenever there's something you think we can improve, like, even though we've been at this for a while, we're still figuring out like everyone is right. No one has all the answers. Um, And I just, I encourage it. I applaud it. Um, and I tell people I want it. I mean, I'd be a major hypocrite if I couldn't take feedback because, um, you know, because that's what we do. We give other people feedback for a living, right? That's that's our service is we give people feedback. Um, so it's something I always tell people, um, you know, it's just because I, I, that's the only way to grow, right? I mean, you, you're not, if no one's telling you anything but great job, good job, then you can't grow, you can't improve. Um, so to me, that's just the core um, element of, just our, our business of our, you know, um, culture is that we want that. Yeah. I love that. There's a, there's, there's a, there's a whole heap of questions that are coming up that I could spend the next two hours with you on, but I want to be respectful of your time. There's a couple of other points that I wanted to touch on. And I guess one of them is fairly topical and it's a bit of a selfish question for our audience, but if people are in a current situation right now and experiencing lockdown, social distancing, like, I can imagine for me personally, I was, I was in an absolute rut probably three and a half months ago. Uh, and then I sat down with my wife and we talked through it and, and now we do like a 25 minute hit session together every single morning and I go on three runs a week. That's great. I, I used to be into my fitness and I'm now starting to get like clarity and my motivation back, which is hugely important. Like through the experience that you've got through 40 clients, 40 coaches and then their clients, what advice do you have for people right now about staying healthy during lockdown and maybe some habit building exercises that they can, they can learn today and then continue moving forward. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, when we get into a situation where we feel kind of out of control, when we feel, feel powerless, I think we all tend to kind of uh, give up what we can most control. Um, And what we can most control is our actions, our input, you know, what, you know, our actions like eating well, exercising, movement, sleep, um, input, you know, what you read, what you watch, what you listen to, who you surround yourself with. Um, you know, and I, when we give those things up, the very things we can truly control, uh, control, um, it makes us feel even more powerless. It, it makes us feel, um, you know, it, totally out of control. So it's so hard because it's against our nature, but when things like this happen or just any, even a bad day or a bad week, it's really important to kind of, instead of running away from what you can most control, um, to double down on those foundational things, because when you double down on what you can most control, um, it really enables you and allows you to deal with everything just a little better. 
right? And of course, this is a crazy time, you know, nothing like this, you know, in the last hundred years or so, you know, like this is unprecedented. Um, so we've been just, you know, really trying to focus on those foundational things because it really helps. And then, you know, I mean, that's, I think that's first and foremost, you know, um, double down on what you can most control. When you control the controllables, it enables you to deal with everything else a little better. Yeah. Bit, big fan of that to be honest i've got this thing where i believe it's from the seven habits of highly effective people which is like the circle of influence and circle of concern uh and when all this started kicking off i was just thinking about everything everything that's out of my control i was thinking about it and it was getting me down yeah. um and then just started to think actually out of everything that i care about what are the things that i can actually influence with my inputs to, to your example uh and then every yeah. day I wake up and i journal i'm like what are the things that i can control today and that's really helped me kind of get get focused. So I absolutely love that advice. Yeah. I mean, a good, you know, a good exercise to do is, you know, take a piece of paper out or on your computer or whatever, write down everything on your mind that's bothering you. Everything in your mind, just do a massive brain dump, like just everything. And then take another piece of paper or another, make another list and just write down everything that's bothering you. That's within your control and focus on that list because life is hard enough you know, if you're focusing on things you can't control, you're going to go crazy. I mean, you just, it, it just becomes massively overwhelming and daunting. Um, so yeah, focus on what you can control. One of my mantras is control the controllables. Uh, yeah, absolutely love that. And I'd probably say do, do that exercise regular and often, um, mm-hmm. because it will definitely keep you sane. Um, Adam, for people listening to this right now, um, there's, there's a whole heap of different people, as I've explained, people that are currently in day jobs, early, early business owners, what are the key takeaways that you've had in your career so far? I, I absolutely love speaking to what I call real business owners. And I don't want to take anything away from other people that are building businesses. Uh, but I traditionally, probably four or five years ago, spent a lot of time with people that have raised capital. And I've definitely realized the difference between raising capital and running a business. And I absolutely admire what you've built and how long you've stuck it out. I just want to put that on the record. Uh, when, learning, when learning about your business, I got really excited for our conversation today. Uh, and I think it gives us an opportunity to, to ask you the question of, by someone that's been in 13 rounds of this fight so far, you've been doing this for 13 years, uh, what are the things that, that you have learned that the listeners of this should know if they are just starting their journey? Yeah, so, um, well, first of all, thank you. Um, you know, I always felt that not to take away anything from people who've raised venture capital and, and investments, um, but I think, you know, it's, it becomes a different business. You know, when you have investors, you wind up working for them versus your cli- your client or customer. Um, and for us, you know, we've been approached many times. We've had even customers who wanted to invest in us, which is, you know, a real um, compliment. But once we take money, then we we work for those people. And for us, I'd rather obsess over serving our clients and our clients. Can I, but, so, sorry, let me just jump in, Adam, because that point hits so hard with me is when when we started this business i care about impact we serve trades professionals we're trying to help trades people all over the uk run professional and profitable businesses and i would get into the weeds and care about them the same way that you likely do with your clients yep. and as soon as you raise that venture capital you start thinking about growth metrics and spreadsheets and yep. there became a detachment and i got really disappointed with myself for the space of about two years i flipped it and communicated externally to all shareholders i'm like guys you invested in me because i i run this my way and it yeah. reconnects me back with a customer. Sorry to jump in, but I think it was so, so on point in what you said. Yeah, well, I think it's important. I mean, part of what's enabled me to keep going and 13 years in is because like I live for what I do. And for me, nothing makes me happier than, you know, getting the emails I do every day from our happy clients and s- successful clients. And I think it's important for you and anyone, you know, when you're far away from starting is to remember why you did it. And, you know, that keeps you excited. I mean, that's what I live for. 
Um, you know, so in, versus just focusing on Excel spreadsheets and numbers that you have to hit, that'll drive you crazy. I mean, that's not, you know, that's not nearly as fun as why you started it. Um, but in terms of lessons I've learned, you know, a lot of them are cliche, but it's unfortunately, there are things you have to just go through on your own. Um, you know, number one is definitely listening to your gut. You know, so there's times where, you, you know, we've worked with consultants and contractors in the past, and there's a part of you that knows, and there's also a part of you that thinks. And one of the things I've learned over the years is to kind of trust the part of me that knows versus thinks. And it might sound hokey or whatever, but just think about like there's times where you're faced with a decision and there's there's a, a part of you deep down that just knows the right thing to do. And there's a part of you that thinks about it. And that part of you that thinks about it rationalizes it, right? So it's like, oh, this person can really get us to the next level or this person knows what they're doing. Um, but when you're rationalizing, you're ignoring all the supporting evidence, right? So like, well, yeah, but last week they said they were going to send me a proposal. They never did. Or, you know, last week they said they were going to do this and they never did. Or they missed this phone call we were supposed to have. Or they didn't hit their, you know, goal they said. And like, because a part of you wants it, you ignore that evidence. Mm -hmm. But point is, trust your gut and go with the part of you that knows. Because that, that part of you rarely is wrong. Um, and it's taken me many times to learn that lesson. And there's times where I'm like, all right, maybe just this one time. And every single time I'm like, man, I should have trusted my gut. Um, yeah, I, I think, uh, as a great way to wrap this up is well, I'm looking at, we've got the pleasure of talking on zoom today with videos on is I'm looking at a man that literally and physically listened to his gut because he was walking to Ernst and Young every day for two years. And it was that gut of his that said, dude, you're going to hate your life in 20 years time. You're going to be filled full of regret. Uh, and it was that gut feeling that you that you listened to that made you take the leap. Um, Adam, I could literally sit and chat to you all day. I, I just feel like a, a Kim with what, your journey. Um, I, I've got a lot of admiration for what you've built. Um, you. For people listening to this right now uh, that, that want to learn more about what you've done, um, where can they go to learn about MyAbilityTutor.com? Yeah, I mean, the best bet is go to MyAbilityTutor.com. You know, we're on all the socials, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, on mybodytutor.com, we have a free seven-day course. Um, so if you're interested in improving your health and fitness and interested in losing weight, um, you know, check out the site, sign up for the free course. It's 100% free. Um, I think you'll find it to be really, really helpful and you'll get a much better understanding of our approach and why it works and you'll learn a lot too. Love that. And if someone's listened to this and thinks, actually, there's some questions that Adam didn't ask, as in me, not you, um, uh, where can they reach out to you? Is there a space where they can reach out to you directly, whether it's LinkedIn or something like that, if they want to learn more about your journey or potentially get some advice? Yeah, they can reach out on LinkedIn. They can reach out. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very reliable and responsive on email, so they can, you know, reach out to me on email. Um, I'm happy to uh, help when when I can. Absolutely love that, guys. And you'll see the LinkedIn and the email address in the show notes. Adam, any parting words before we wrap this up? Um, no. I, I, well, I guess the parting word is, um, you know, go with what you know, not w with what you think. Um, and I think that'll serve you very well. Love that. Thanks very much for your time today, bud. Thank you. Appreciate it.